Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode, I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at the New World Translation, the Bible of the Watchtower Organization. In that episode, we learned that it is a distorted and extremely biased version of the Bible that is based on the Watchtower's beliefs instead of what the original biblical manuscripts say. We also learned that the New World Translation was put together by men who were not qualified to make such a translation due to their lack of education and training in the biblical languages. In this episode, I now want to turn our attention and look at where their theology originated. If you recall from our last lesson dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses, I shared that although Jehovah's Witnesses believe in God, Jehovah, they deny the Trinity, the deity of Christ, and other Christian doctrines, which we will get into later in this episode. The origin of Jehovah's Witness theology doesn't date back to 1870 with Charles Taze Russell. It actually dates back nearly 2,000 years to the 4th century and comes from a theological teaching known as Arianism, named for Arius, who was a priest in North Africa. Arius claimed that Christ was created by God and therefore not deity. Arius's heretical teachings were condemned at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, where over 300 bishops attended. These bishops rejected Arius' teachings that Jesus was only a man and not fully God. In response to Arius' heretical teachings, the council developed and adopted the following creed based on what Scripture teaches. They wrote, quote, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that is, from the substance of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us humans and for our salvation descended and became incarnate, becoming human, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascending to the heavens, and will come to judge the living and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit. End quote. The creed goes on to say, quote, But those who say that there was when he was not, and that before being begotten he was not, or that he came from that which is not, or that the Son of God is of a different substance or essence, or that he is created, or mutable, these the Catholic Church anathematizes, end quote. It's clear from the Nicene Creed that not only did the early church view Arius as a heretical teacher and rejected his teachings, but they clearly believed that Jesus Christ was God. As mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Jehovah's Witnesses deny several Christian doctrines, including the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of hell. For the sake of time, we're only going to be looking at the doctrines dealing with the deity of Christ, the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit in this episode. 
In our next episode, we're going to look further at what the Bible teaches about Jesus, as well as what the early church taught. Then, in the lesson after that, we're going to look at the doctrine of hell. Let's now turn our attention to the deity of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity. Are these doctrines taught in the Bible? Or are these doctrines the result of paganism, as Jehovah's Witnesses claim? Let's now look at what the Bible teaches regarding God. The Old Testament makes it clear that there is only one God. For example, in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10, we read, Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. God later tells us through Isaiah the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6, that I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. And again, in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5, God tells us that I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Another important verse comes from the book of Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. It's clear from these verses that there is only one God. However, Scripture also shows that there is a plurality within the Godhead. For example, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Later in Genesis, we read in Genesis chapter 3 verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Then, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 7, God's speaking, and listen to what he says. We read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 7, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they will not understand one another's speech. These verses clearly show a plurality within the Godhead. Now that we've seen evidence of a plurality, let's now look at what the Bible says regarding the Holy Spirit. Although there are numerous verses throughout the Bible that point to the personage and deity of the Holy Spirit, I'm only going to point to a few. In Psalm chapter 95, verses 7 through 11, we read, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, They tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. And in Exodus chapter 17 verse 7 we read, He named that place Massa in Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, you might be thinking, Okay, Brian, these talk about God, but how do these verses have anything to do with the Holy Spirit? In the book of Hebrews, we learn that it was actually the Holy Spirit that the Israelites tested in the wilderness. For example, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, we read the following, Therefore, Just as the Holy Spirit says, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They will always go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So here in these three verses, Psalm chapter 95 verses 7 through 11, Exodus chapter 17 verse 7, and Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 through 11, we see that when the Israelites were testing God in the wilderness, it was actually the Holy Spirit that they were testing. These verses are showing that the Holy Spirit is God. But if you're still not satisfied, here's another verse showing that the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter 5, listen to what it says. In verses 3 through 4, we read, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Notice that in verse 3, Peter asked Ananias why Satan had filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. However, in verse 4, notice that Peter tells Ananias that when he lied to the Holy Spirit, he was lying to God. Each of these verses that we've just looked at clearly teach that the Holy Spirit is God. Now that we've seen that the Bible clearly shows that the Holy Spirit is God, Let's see what the Bible says regarding the deity of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was not God. In fact, they go even further and argue that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible. They claim that Christians deified Christ hundreds of years after his death. In many previous episodes, I've brought up the arguments made by Jehovah's Witnesses regarding the deity of Christ which is that the early Christians did not worship Jesus as God. Jehovah's Witnesses, as well as others like Dan Brown and others, argue that the belief in the deity of Christ is the result of paganism infiltrating the church in the 4th century as a result of the pagan emperor Constantine. Jehovah's Witnesses claim that during this time in history, bishops changed the church doctrine in order to gain favor with Emperor Constantine. Not only did these bishops hope to gain the favor of the pagan emperor, but according to the Watchtower organization, these bishops were power-hungry and wanted to be exempt from paying taxes. Listen to what the Watchtower organization writes on their website in an article titled Portraits from the Past, Constantine. They write, quote, To win his favor, bishops had to make religious compromises, and those who did received tax exemptions and generous patronage. End quote. Further in this article, they write that, quote, A result of Constantine's alliance with the bishops was a religion with tenets that were part Christian and part pagan. End quote. They further write that, quote, While professing to champion Christianity, Constantine kept one foot in paganism. End quote. Hearing these arguments, we need to ask ourselves, is there any truth to these claims? Anytime someone attacks your beliefs, it's uncomfortable. That's just the way it is. 
I can remember years ago hearing these arguments and being unsettled by these claims. I began wondering if what I had put my faith in was a lie. Was I nothing more than a religious person who was worshiping a pagan false god? Had I been deceived? These are questions that each of us should ask ourselves, whether you claim to be a Christian or a Jehovah's Witness. So, is there any truth to the claim that Jesus was deified in order to appease the pagan emperor Constantine? Let's look and see. The Bible makes it clear that it is only God that can save. For example, in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 11, God is speaking and he says the following, I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. If only God saves, and yet the New Testament shows that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again on the third day to save us from our sins, what should be concluded? It should be concluded that Jesus is God, which the Bible also makes clear. We saw in a previous episode, episode 8 titled, Did the Church Deify Christ Hundreds of Years After His Death? The Deity of Christ Part 1? And in episode 9, titled, Are the Claims of Christianity Arrogant and Narrow-Minded? The Deity of Christ Part 2? We saw in these two episodes that the Deity of Christ is clearly shown in Scripture. We saw this by looking at what Jesus said and taught, the reaction of the Jewish leaders, and who Jesus' disciples and apostles said he was. So let's do a quick overview of what we learned in those episodes. There are numerous examples throughout the New Testament that show us what Jesus said and taught. However, for the sake of time, we're only going to look at a few. In Mark chapter 2, verses 5-7, through we read, To the paralytic, he said, Your sins are forgiven. In the Gospel of John, Scripture says in John chapter 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. In another part of John's gospel, it says in John chapter 14, verse 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. At first glance, when you read these verses or when you hear these verses, you might not understand the significance of what Jesus is saying in each of these verses. But each of these verses is very significant in our discussion of the deity of Christ. For example, in Mark chapter 2, verses 5-7, through when Jesus says to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, the significance with this statement is that only God could forgive sins. Jesus is making it clear in John chapter 10, verse 30, that He and God are one. And lastly, in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus is claiming that if someone has seen him, Jesus, that they have seen God, the Father. In each of these verses, Jesus is making clear statements about his deity. The last verse I'm going to share in this episode, dealing with Jesus' claims to being God, comes from John chapter 8, verse 58. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus responds to the Jews by saying, Before Abraham was born, I am. By itself, this verse may seem odd. Not only that, but verse 59 tells us that the Jews picked up stones in order to try to kill Jesus. What's interesting, which we'll look at, is that in verse 55, the Jews were confused and not angry. 
So we need to ask ourselves, what is so significant about Jesus saying, before Abraham was born, I am? Like I said, this statement may seem odd, especially if you don't have a Christian background or if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. To give us a little more clarity, I'm going to read verses 48 through 59 so that you can see the full context. Actually, even in verse 48, we're kind of jumping into the conversation that's taking place between Jesus and the Jews. But I think jumping in here will give us enough context to see what's taking place. For example, in verse 48, it says, The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death? Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know Him, and keep His word. Then Jesus tells him in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Let me pause here. I want you to pay attention to how the Jews respond to what Jesus just said. In the very next verse, in verse 57, it says, So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? I want you to notice something. The Jews aren't angry with Jesus. They're confused. If you're unfamiliar with biblical history, the reason for their confusion is that Abraham lived 2,000 years prior to Jesus' birth. So, can you now see why the Jews reacted the way they did? In other words, they're saying, um, Jesus, you're not even 50 yet. I'm not good with math, but if Abraham lived and died 2,000 years ago, how could you have seen him? Notice again that they weren't angry with Jesus. They were confused. But now pay attention to verse 58 and how Jesus responds as well as the reaction of the Jews in verse 59. In verse 58, It says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. In verse 59, it says, Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Again, in verse 57, the Jews were confused by what Jesus was saying, but they weren't angry. So what was so significant about what Jesus said in verse 58 that caused the Jews to want to kill him in verse 59? In John chapter 8 verse 58, when Jesus says, Before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was claiming to be God. The title I am points back to God speaking to Moses in the burning bush. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, Verses 13 through 15, the scripture says, Then Moses 
said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. It's obvious from each of these examples that Jesus is claiming to be God. We've just seen from what Jesus said and taught that he clearly claimed to be God. As I bring this episode to a close, I want to briefly look at the reactions of the religious leaders to see what they understood Jesus to be saying. Even though there are numerous verses that show the reactions of the Jewish leaders, for the sake of time, I'm just going to address John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33. In John chapter 10, Verses 30 to 33, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leaders, and he tells them, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. According to verse 33, why were the Jewish leaders angry with Jesus and wanting to stone him? What did they understand about Jesus' statement? In answer to this question, they wanted to kill Jesus because it was clear to the Jewish leaders that Jesus was claiming to be God. This passage gives explicit evidence that the Jewish leaders clearly understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. You see this when they state that they wanted to kill him because, and I quote, you, a mere man, claim to be God. You can't get any clearer than that. These men literally explain here in this verse that they understood that Jesus was claiming to be God. In this episode, we've seen evidence from several passages that the Bible clearly teaches that the Holy Spirit is God. We've also seen from the verses that I just shared with you that Jesus clearly claimed to be God. This is evident by looking at what Jesus said, as well as by looking at the reactions of the Jewish leaders. The next evidence I want to look at is what the disciples and apostles said about Jesus, as well as what non-Christians living during the time of the early church wrote about Jesus. But for the sake of time, we will have to continue our discussion in our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time to find out how Jesus was described in the writings of the disciples and apostles, as well as in the writings of non-Christians. Was Jesus described as being a man, or was he worshipped as God? Come back next time to find out. God bless.